I don't want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Sports Distraction. We are back once again to distract you from the regular grind and entertain you with our sporty shenanigans. A greetings and a good day to you, Michael. Hello, sir. And it seems as if we've made a few more revolutions on the Earth's axis than we usually do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to, before we know it, we're going to end up back on Disappointments of the Week ourselves. Which, yeah, you know... I guess depending on who you ask, maybe we've been on there the entire time. Well, maybe, but really, truthfully, we only have our adulting to blame. And actually, really, if you want to break this down, who I blame is the big media conglomerates that haven't signed us to a huge deal where we don't have to worry about the other aspects of adulting. That's that's really who I blame. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. All right, on today's episode, we are going to give you our 2019 MLB preview, at least part of it, if not the whole thing. We might break that up into two episodes. Uh, we are going to have our conversation about war, that is, wins above replacement, not bombing other countries. Um, also, Mike Trout's historic deal. Uh, there's definitely a lot to cover when it comes to the money that baseball is just giving out. Uh, plus the latest on the NCAA tournament. I know because we are slackers, we missed out on the beginning of the tournament, but we will break down the, the Sweet 16 for you. And uh, we've got some other great stuff mixed in between. And we'll wrap up the show like we always do with Did You See That and Disappointments of the Week. So I would assume with that, we really should get started with the headline that came across yesterday. And that would be that Gronk is retiring. Pour out some for your boy. What? I said pour out some for your boy, you know. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. You lost, you lost homies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you talked about it. You called it, I think, right after the Super Bowl, right? I think that was the episode where, you, where the rumors were already swirling around. Tom said he was coming back. But what do you think is really the driving force factor behind the dude retiring at 29 years old, which, by the way, is five years younger than you and I. Right. Um, <laughs> before, which, before we even get into that part of see, it. See, I was, I was actually going to circumvent that part of it altogether. I wasn't even going to think about that. Um, oh, okay. Oh, well, party crasher. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I think it is really what everybody expected it to be as far as the driving factor, just being the fact that he has been so injury prone over his career yeah he has had by all accounts one of the best careers as a tight end uh but you know if you if you're even a somewhat close follower of him or the pets you know that man can't really stay on the field for an entire season um no which is unfortunate because of his excessive talent uh, but yeah, he's just, he's been so banged up, so many surgeries, the elbow surgery or the elbow injury, the back injuries, the knee injuries. Um, and I think at this point, you know, they, they really just took a toll on him. And I, I think it, it's something that maybe we lose the sight of because we see it so much on TV, but then we don't really see the after effects after guys do retire. But these are 
most of the time, these are gigantic humans. So, you know, you think about us in our ripe 30, uh, mid-30s, we'll go with that. Um, uh, do we have to go that far? Yeah, well, um, you know, with our 30 issues. Um, and, you know, you think about the, the aches and pains and how your knees hurt and all that, all that crap that we attribute to getting old when we're really not old, but we're, you know, we're just uh, passively Speak being... For yourself, Sonny. Right, we're just passively being <laughs> ironic, I guess. <laughs> So yeah, if you if you think about, you know, these excessively large humans and the fact that as they get older, these injuries that they have had over their careers just become that much more debilitating, it, it doesn't really it doesn't surprise me at all. And you know, like I said, we don't really see it on kind of the back end of it how these guys actually age. So I think, you know, when he takes that into account, takes into the takes into account the fact that he's had tons of interest and other offers from other entertainment outlets yeah it's it's just it i won't say it's an easy decision but it's certainly not a surprising decision no i mean i I think you're right he obviously is one of the better players to be in the league the last 10 years um not surprising but surprising all at the same time i i feel like so you when i looked at this last night when i saw it come across is will it really be enough to push him into the Hall of Fame, I mean, he's what two-time, two or three-time Super Bowl champion. I think just three two, times, right? Three times. Is it three? Champion. Okay, yep. it is three time. But he said in the same that he was injured for I think one of those Super Bowls. So, um, you know, three-time Super Bowl champion. I mean, that's an incredible oh, uh, accomplishment to have at under thirty years old. So right there, you're going to go, wow, that's that should be enough to propel him into the Hall of Fame. Finishes at seventy-nine touchdowns. Um, you know, yardage wise, eh, not a crazy ton of yards. I just don't know if that's going to be quite enough to propel him. I mean, Pat's history, sure, he's going to be a Hall of Fame Patriot because of his contributions and what they did during this Belichick Brady dynasty. I don't think there's any question about that, but to actually make it to Canton, I don't know if that's actually going to be enough for him. Uh, I think it will. And actually, I think. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first ballot. Really? Yeah, because you look at his his production amongst other... Well, let's start with other tight ends. Other tight ends, the only other two names that are going to even, you know, be in the same breath, I guess, as him as far as overall production would be what? Uh, Tony Gonzalez and Antonio mm-hmm. Gates. Like, those yeah. are the only two that would even be close. Uh, I know they, you know, did a pretty detailed breakdown of him um, and his stats and everything on ESPN right after the uh, right after the announcement was made, and um, you know, you you mentioned his seventy nine touchdowns, and at that span in his career, and uh, you know, including his playoff production and everything, the only other two names that are above him as far as overall production. Randy Moss and Jerry Rice, and they are okay. strictly wide receivers. Yeah, so, I, I didn't realize that it was that close on on that that stat line. Right, right. So um, again, you know, just looking at what he's done in such a short time, uh, I, I think it's hard to it's hard to argue that he will not be in the Hall of Fame. And again, my my initial impression is I would not be surprised at all to see him as a first ballot guy. Well, 
Okay. You know, I, you know, I could be wrong on that. Like I said, I, I'm not saying that he won't be. I was just curious if, if eight seasons, nine seasons, uh, depending on how you look at it when you factor in the injury part of it, is going to be enough to really propel him into that. The OCD that I have, I couldn't stop at 79 touchdowns. I'd have, I would go through spring training, summer camps, all of that, get ready, and, okay, I've got an 80th touchdown catch. Give me the mic. All right, guys, that's it. I'm out. I got 80. I'm done. I'm just going to have to uh, retire during halftime like uh, yeah. the man for the Bills. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I had a very similar thought, but mine was more along the lines of yardage because I saw he's got, like, 9,024 yards. I'm like, bro. You just, yeah, you, you got to get that up to ten G's. Yep, that would have uh, that would have made it better too. I don't know, you know, a nice even maybe ninety touchdowns and ten thousand yards. Then you know why not? So what? Uh, I mean, I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting for the Patriots. Although based off of uh, what we saw with what Belichick's up to this offseason, maybe that's irrelevant for what his next project is going to be. But I, I mean, this has got to put the Patriots in. Not necessarily rebuilding mode, but you know you count on Gronk being there. He's been a staple of that organization for the last decade, a reliable target, obviously for Brady. You don't have somebody waiting in the wings to take over. You know, you lost Hernandez, which that's that whole separate issue. But when you had the two of them on the on the field together, and that was one of the things that was making the Patriots so difficult to beat. Right. Yeah. Um... I mean, the answer is I don't know, because yeah. what do you do? How do you, how do you replace a, again, assumedly, uh, Hall of Fame tight end? And you, you don't really. You just try your best to kind of fill in the void around him. And, you know, we already know that they have had some uh, some struggles with wide receiver, uh, mm-hmm. having, <laughs> having a hard time keeping guys on the field. Um, so yeah, what do you do? Uh, of course we do know that, uh, that Belichick, as you said, is always scheming in the background. And so (laughs) I feel like it would be underestimating him if we said that, you know, he didn't have a plan or didn't have a a contingency plan going on, um, you know, to at least kind of account for the day whenever this day did come. So I feel like he's got... He's got something cooking. Uh, it, you always you always see them making weird moves, and uh, unless you really pay a whole lot of attention closely to the trades that they do, uh, especially on draft day around like uh, the compensatory picks, mm-hmm. um, you don't really make much of it. But it, it's funny because I, I see that, and I, I just I just think about you know Bill Belichick sitting behind his desk pondering over a, a chessboard and, you know, strategically plotting out his next move. So but don't do they, forget that all the lights are off in the room, too, and just one one dim light is just kind of in the room and his face is all shadowy. And Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the only illumination is really from a, a, a small glimmer of light that comes through the window and is reflected 9,000 times off of his Super Bowl rings. Right. Um, so <laughs> he is he's just masterminding away. But, you know, it is what it is, uh, regardless of if you're a Patriots fan, a Patriots anti-fan. Um, Gronk is or was and still is one of the most entertaining individuals to watch in sports. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that, that was just going to be my final thought on that. It was going towards um, the the draft, you know, what, in a couple weeks here. Is that going to change the Patriots' overall strategy? I don't know. You know, I, I can't say that I've done enough research on the tight end part of the draft. If there is any standout prospect or any good pro- prospect that they, they might be able to get, I think there was Jake Butt from Michigan from uh, last year or the year before, but I don't think he ended up with the Patriots. So, um, I, I, yeah, I just don't know if that's going to be something they try and draft in the first, second, or even third round. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually, uh, Mr. Butt uh, also <laughs> tore his ACL uh, last year, too. So he's, he's had some uh, injury issues as well. Uh, and yeah, to your point, I don't know of any, you know, just huge names um, that might be available, but that's that's kind of what the Patriots do, right? Is they find yeah. they find guys that aren't huge names and they figure out how to make them huge names. Yeah, well, see, the only the only real exception I take with that, of course, Randy Moss is is an exception to that, but Sony Michelle, I mean, because because. Of the way I follow the SEC, Sony Michelle wasn't an unknown to me. And whenever they drafted him this last season, I I think you were the first person I texted that that was a huge pickup for the Patriots because he's he's just going to end up probably fitting very well into that system. And so far he has. So I don't necessarily know if they have to go with a complete no name. Uh, but you're right. That's definitely what they do. I mean, nobody had heard of Tom Brady coming into the draft. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we said, Bill's just there masterminding away. So it, I will be very closely watching draft day to see what they end yeah. up doing. It'll be fun, and we'll have all that coverage too. Hopefully, if we're not too big a slackers. All right, that's enough on Gronk. We can uh, we can touch on something else that inter- that was an interesting development this week in the National Football League. The option that now pass interference is going to be reviewable. Yeah, how does how does that make you feel? Uh, well, I actually like the thing you sent me today, the little meme with from the Miami Ohio State uh, game. <laughs> that one that made me chuckle. Um, <laughs> I think it's fine. I, I, it's just what we talked about whenever this all unfolded. You know, during the the NFC Championship, where do you draw? that line where where do you stop and say okay that's that's the limit of what's reviewable and I I think the only problem with this is and I'm not saying I disagree with it but I think the only problem with it is is you're opening yourself up to that whole can of worms and and maybe there's not an end in sight I don't know yeah I mean I can see how someone as you know pessimistic and downtrodden as yourself might see this as a slippery slope <laughs> but um <laughs> i i'm okay with it and I actually I, I i like the idea behind it i'm curious to see if it's going to kind of be one of those things that gets implemented full time um or if it's just going to be kind of a, a test phase thing and i don't really yeah. think that it's going to open a can of worms for lack of a better term and the reason being so is because if you, I think really if you think about it in the context of what penalties are the most likely to be attributed 
to game-altering scenarios. And really, the only one I can think of is pass interference. More often Holding. Than, well, yeah. Uh, more often than not, I would say defensive pass interference. Because if you think about it, defensive pass interference is pretty much the equivalent of, you know, let's say you're playing Madden and you're in practice uh, and you just go to the ball screen and you go to respot ball and you put the ball anywhere <laughs> on the field where you want. That's basically yeah. what defensive pass interference does, especially if it's in the end zone. I mean, that that could realistically be a 50-plus yard penalty. <laughs> yeah, it could. And and you do. You have a very valid point. But, you know, again, where what is that line you know, do you do you break it down to okay? Well, now we need to re- review every encroachment. Now we need to review every false start. Was it a false start or was it an encroachment? And I just think you might, if you continue down this path, you might end up dragging the game out longer and longer. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I'm not I'm not necessarily for or against it. I I see the merits of both arguments, but I just don't necessarily know if it's the best idea for the NFL to start implementing that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, I truthfully don't see any scenario where it really gets expanded beyond this because of exactly what you just said. And, you know, I think we talked about it, who knows how many weeks ago, because all the days just blur together in a mindless drone. It's all of, one day. Yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> we talked about integrity of the game in terms of like baseball and, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of steps that they're taking to speed it up to you know like the the pitching clock and that kind of thing to keep people engaged and and make sure the games move along um and it's kind of that reason why i don't think this is really going to expand because yeah you have to think about it if you know if we're going to open ourselves up to all these additional reviews how negatively will that affect the quality and the integrity of the game right and my interpretation would be it would be a substantial negative effect to it so i think this is the line like they say okay we can review this because it clearly does have implications on uh a, like a game changing could have a game, game changing, altering yeah right, yeah yeah a game altering call um and and i think that's it you know you brought up holding potentially but the reality of it is holding is holding pretty much occurs on every single play (laughs) so hey now so you know it just i i think this is okay um truth be told i don't know how often this would be used also so i don't i don't think this is going to be something we're going to see every single game i think we might see it like five times a season i don't think it's going to be that frequent i don't know I, I think that, you know, to, to build on what you're saying there, I think it will still be important to determine who gets to review it. And I, I think that's going to really be kind of the key when implementing it is, is it, does this get to be part of the challenge? Is it an additional challenge? What, what are the criteria in order for this ruling to be reviewed? And I would think that uh, kind of like in MLB, whenever there's a question about what the way it used to be, whenever there was a question about whether it was a home run or not, the umpires would confer right around second base and go, well, yeah, I saw it hit here, I saw it hit here. Okay, is it a double or is it a home run? And then they'd come back and say, okay, it was a home run. I think that would probably be more beneficial. And But the tricky part with that is in the NFL, you have referees that are assigned to specific parts of the game. So... Uh, 
I, yeah, I, I just I don't know how that's going to work. I, I think it would be a lot more than five times in a season, though. Yeah. I think we'll see it five times in the first weekend. <laughs> Maybe. And, you know, like you said, I, I think uh, as we get into more of the details and figure out exactly how this is going to work, like what the mechanics of it are, you know, if it's if it's a booth initiated review, then no, it's, it's probably not going to happen very often. If it's a coach yeah. initiated review, I, it'll happen more often. I still don't think it would happen super often because then you, you know, you have the ability or the, the likelihood of losing your challenge that you could potentially uh, use later on in the game. Yeah, so, but but like you you said, I mean, that, sometimes these are fifty yard plays. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I'm the coach and I have the option, I'm probably going to throw it out whenever I have an opportunity, especially if it's a big chunk of yardage like that. Yeah, so um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm interested to see what else uh, what else comes out of this. This is always the. I kind of think about this like the experimental portion of the NFL offseason because this is always the time where they kind of implement or propose new rule changes and maybe try some try some things out. Sometimes they don't really change much of anything that's going to have an appreciable effect on the game. Sometimes they do, like this. So uh, I know another hot topic, which I, I don't think they came to any consensus on, was the overtime rules change. Um, which I know how much you love that overtime. <laughs> Stupid NFL overtime. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I thought that was uh, that was an interesting outcome from uh, the week in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was. Um, one other one other last NFL note that I have is uh, Jordy Nelson is retiring. I which, saw that. Uh, not surprising at all. You know, thirty four years old. I think he's proved himself to, to be one of the best during his time. And, you know, the Raiders opted not to re-sign him. So I think it's probably the best decision for him at, at this point. So hats off to him. I would not be surprised if we see him in a booth in the next year or two. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, very likely. Also, uh, not sure if you saw, but Jeremy Macklin retired as well. I did not see that. Yep. So some uh, some previous big names in the wide receiver game stepping away basically basically just telling us that these guys are in their mid-30s and retiring and we're not that's my takeaway right right. so we've already been over that uh moving on yep (laughs) um i suppose i suppose there's something going on with college basketball uh yeah i think they're playing some sort of uh tournament yeah some sort of is it Round robin invitational. Is it like is it like bridge or canasta? Are they playing some <laughs> some sort of card games? So we again we we did miss last week and and that was unfortunately due to our primary jobs and primary adulting responsibilities that caused us to miss the beginning of the tournament. Uh, but we are down to the sweet sixteen, and you know from what I've seen, I haven't watched every game. I never watch every game. I just can't. I don't. I don't function <laughs> I don't that have way. It in me. Yeah, I don't. I don't have that much time. Right. (laughs) But from what I can see is it hasn't been a ridiculously crazy tournament. I mean, I'm not, you know, looking at any huge games like, okay, um, which one was I just looking at? Uh, Mississippi State lost to Liberty by four points. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eh. Um, You know, that one wasn't 
too ridiculously crazy. Murray State beats Marquette, sure, same thing, fifth seed, twelfth seed. Nothing really, really that crazy that jumps out to me um, in this tournament. And and so far with the Sweet Sixteen, now you still have all four number one seeds. Yeah, which I mean, I don't, I don't really think is surprising. Um, Not you know, this to season, your, no. Right to your point, there are there were a couple couple of games you're like, oh well, I didn't uh, I didn't really expect uh, Team X to beat Team Y, but. That's that is March Madness. So yeah, there's there's not like a whole lot of just nonsense going on. No, um, it, it's it's not been not entertaining though. Like there's no no, 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 no March not March Madness to not be entertaining. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as we get into the round of sixteen, it, that's where it's gonna. I think this is where we're going to see a pretty sizable increase in the competitiveness of games because to your point you didn't have a whole lot of higher seed teams win so now that we're getting you know getting into the additional rounds now we're seeing much closer games like we're seeing threes play sixes and um fives play fours and and that kind of thing so it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be real good yeah i think the the most impressive part of of the 16 remaining teams is that five of them are from the ACC mm-hmm. and you know, Florida state and Virginia tech are your two <clears throat> lower seeds, so, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but you know, then you still have, you'd have four teams from the SEC, which I think is actually pretty huge. You've got Kentucky, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. So, you know, nine teams out of the 16 are coming from kind of that central southeastern part of the of the country not saying exclusively because i do understand that you know you're getting into some northern areas with that but for the most part you know you're looking at virginia on down nine teams are representing uh the the sweet 16 to this point yeah and you know kind of looking over the bracket too as we kind of just mentioned talking about how the higher seeds are playing up to expectation. Looking forward, as we get into the Elite Eight, uh, you know, we <laughs> we have the very real possibility of, in every division, a one playing a two in every yes. every single one of those games. And even further down the line, when you get the Final Four, there's still the very real possibility of it being all number ones. And, you know, ideally, you would think, logic would dictate that, that's how it would work out most of the time, but that's never how it works out. And I can guarantee that's not how it's going to work out this time. Uh, I will say that out of our potential matchups, of course, you know, not going into uh, the final four or anything, uh, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the round of eight and potentially watching UNC and Kentucky. Yeah, that would be good. Although, you know, see, I, on the flip side, I'm looking at this going, I think the UNC-Auburn game, UNC is definitely a better team than Auburn. Let me let me just put that out there. UNC is better than Auburn. But at this point, at this stage, I think this is probably the second most interesting matchup of the Sweet 16 for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that Auburn really might be able to give UNC a difficult time I think you and I both probably agree that Kentucky is going to beat Houston, but that could set it up for a Kentucky Auburn matchup, which I think could be really interesting also. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. And of course, uh, you know, we can't uh, can't overlook the fact that Oregon is still hanging around. Uh, they, I believe, at this point, they have the uh, the nation's longest active win streak at nine or ten games, and they're the highest, or excuse me, the lowest ranked seed still. See, it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. It's it's tricky to kind of work that out. They are the lowest ranked seed still uh, still alive in the tournament. So. Yeah, which again, I mean, I, they're really the Cinderella at this point, and right. I would like if, to if see we have them. to have one, that it would be them. <laughs> yeah, they're looking, going, oh, really? We are, uh, and they have to play Virginia. Yeah, um, which is not going to be an easy one. No, it's not. I, I mean, on when you're looking at it, you're going, man, that would be a really great story if Oregon beats Virginia, and you know, hey, they they'd have a shot at playing uh, Purdue or Tennessee. I just don't see, unfortunately, Oregon getting past Virginia. I'll be rooting for Oregon. Go yeah. Oregon, which is probably the kiss of death for Oregon. Sorry, Oregon that's, fans and That's yourself. usually how it goes. Yep. <laughs> but I just, I don't, I don't see Oregon being able to beat Virginia. Yeah. But it could happen. I mean, it could happen. It'll be tough. You know, uh, Virginia had a pretty slow start in their first in their first round game against was it Gardner Webb. Uh, yeah, that, that game was real close uh, for quite some time. So I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I'm just gonna say I hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and truthfully, for myself in that bracket, I'm looking forward to Virginia versus Tennessee. I think that'll be a really good game. But I, I still think it's the ACC's year to take this tournament. And truthfully. I don't even think it's that far out of the equation to see four teams from the ACC in the Final Four. I really think that could happen. Yep, yep. Absolutely. You're going to need some help from Florida State, but mm-hmm. that that could potentially happen. Yeah. So who's your who's your your championship game and who's your winner? Um, I, I'm still looking at it. It's probably going to be Duke. Um, and I think we're probably going to get a Duke UNC national championship, mm-hmm. and and I think it would go to Duke. I mean, Kentucky I think is going to hang in there real close. I mean, you know, we've seen Tennessee; they've had their ups and downs. Not bad. I, I think uh, I think Duke is just a little bit better than Virginia, and I know that's a tough argument to make because you know two of Virginia's losses were to Duke, and I, I think you know them not being able to get over that, get past Duke this season has been a real stickler for them. So if it comes down to Duke, Virginia, I'm going to air towards Duke. And I think uh, UNC is going to take the other half of the bracket and they're going to make it into the tournament. That's into the final fairly easily. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you. I didn't initially, I didn't really want it to work out that way, but uh, I have since then bought into the masses because you look at the games that we've had between Duke and UNC so far this season, and they have been, Really phenomenal. And yeah, they have. I know I was very anti rematch when it came to college football playoffs, but there's less games in college, and I really, <laughs> I really feel like, you know, you shouldn't be playing the same teams over and over and over again, especially when it comes to a championship. Um, but when we're talking about this, I, I think that would provide the most exciting matchup. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with what I said before. And especially when Zion's on the floor, it's hard for me to uh, to go against Duke. 
Yeah, although, I mean, getting right into that, for me, like I said, I haven't, I haven't watched all the games, watched a few of them, but for me so far in this tournament, the Duke-UCF game has been the most exhilarating game in this tournament. I, I don't know if you agree with that. There's another game that maybe you think was a little bit better. There's definitely an argument for some in there, but whoa, that Duke-UCF game, that was good. Yeah, and you know, I think for me the biggest thing was overcoming how tall Taco is, <laughs> um, because he, like he just is doesn't even look like a natural human being. Um, so that was once I got past that, I was like, all right, this is going to be a good game, and obviously it was a fantastic game. You know, there were there were a couple couple calls towards the end that people were like, oh, that was a charge, oh, that was a foul. You know, it, it is what it is. It played out how it did. Um, to your point, it was still probably, if not the best game thus far, one of the best games thus far in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, going through, you know, a couple of the upsets, sure, those are those are always great stories. But when you look at just a, a true back and forth game, you know, you could maybe make the argument Maryland and Belmont because that was a two point game and you know Maryland squeaked by. Um, of course, then LSU beating Maryland, 69-67. So, you know, there, there are some arguments for those really, really close games. But when you're looking at a competitive, looking at it from a competitive standpoint, to me, I, I just think Duke-UCF has stood out so far this tournament. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, uh, I am, of course, excited to get through the round of 16 down to the round of 8. You know, if uh, if our lives allow us to do so, I'm excited to talk about it again next week. <laughs> I would be, I would like that as well. I I would like that as well. Um, there, just one last thing on on the college basketball part of it. Before we got some other things we got to get to, um, not from a, a homer standpoint, but really overall, I'm impressed with UCF athletics and where they've kind of positioned themselves in mainstream. Uh, college sports. You know, I know you you picked on UCF a good bit during the football season, but I don't think there's any taking away from how competitive they were with what they were given. And I think the same holds true for the the basketball part of the program. They even when they had Jordan's kid, you know, that was supposed to kind of be the the turning point for UCF basketball. It didn't really work out that way, but now. You know, we I talked about them a couple weeks going into the tournament as possibly a dark horse coming into this uh, tournament where they might actually be able to do some damage because they had a really solid season this year. Mm-hmm. So hats off to, to UCF and the work that they're doing there at that athletic program uh, to push themselves into mainstream and become a relevant national conversation, which I know is probably going to make you mad whenever <laughs> now all the UCF champs, if, if Duke ends up winning the national championship... <laughs> You know the UCF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I agree uh I'll say 93% of what you said because they are, <laughs> they are doing fantastic. They are uh you know compared to where they were even 5 years ago, they are mm-hmm. excelling uh in a lot of different sports where we never really would have given them much credit to do so. So hats off to them for doing so. I acknowledge their achievements and their accomplishments. 
I just choose not to acknowledge their self-aggrandizing parades and labels (laughs) of national champions or co-national champions or whatever they're going to call themselves if Duke does win. Um, But yeah, you know, they've made fantastic strides athletically as a university. Uh, And it's it's those kinds of things that we, I mean, I know I enjoy seeing it. You enjoy seeing it too Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, from a, a school that... It's strange because you think about it from a like a student body population. It's not small by any means. No, it's, but, it's the most populated college in the nation. But you're right. But you think about it, and maybe because of that fact, you think about it from an athletic standpoint. They're not really that well known. So no. to kind of make that jump to the the main stage, so to speak is uh, is definitely commendable and uh, we'll see if they can actually earn some of those parades that they're so boastfully touting well what i i mean at this point what i would really truthfully like to see for ucf and this is a conversation for a different day would be to see them get out of the american athletic conference and get into uh, i mean whether it's the acc the sec or the big 12 you know, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago when the Big 12 was going through some of their transitions, they were they were trying to get UCF and USF pretty hard, which would have made a lot of sense in some respects for the Big 12 uh, in terms of footprint and where you would have you know, visibility for your conference. But I would like to see UCF get into a Power 5 conference and, and really, really amp up that level of competition for them. I think, I think them and Houston are probably the the next two schools that could actually be put into that upper echelon of competition and be able to hang. And there's probably a couple teams, Vanderbilt, that could be (laughs) taken out or Wake Forest that just don't necessarily belong in some more of these elite power conferences, so to speak. Yeah, so to speak. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, hopefully that would happen. and hopefully, if that does happen, it's not just an expansion because I think that's what right. we're used to seeing is just an expansion. Hey, we're going to have some more teams in. Like, okay, well, who cares if your conference has 50 teams in it? Like, is it really that <laughs> right. you know prestigious of an honor to be a part of it? But yeah, I think if you're going to let some teams in, you're going to have to demote some teams down because, like you said, Vanderbilt, um, <laughs> they're just not really they're not really producing on the field, Old Miss, as well as they, uh, you know, as well as some of the other competition that could kind of take a take their place, uh, Missouri. Um, so, whatever. <laughs> right, but you know, it, even even the the second part of that is it. It's not fr- from the perspective that I'm looking at that is it's you're always going to have course. You know, using the SEC as the example, you know, Alabama's at the creme de la creme, and then you do. You have Vanderbilt and Ole Miss that cannot compete on a year-to-year basis. Same thing with Kentucky and, and football. They just they don't compete on a, on a year-to-year basis. But it, I would almost want to say that if you're going to have these conferences and you're going to have them be a certain size, that overall balance-wise, between all the different college athletics that you have, of Division One SEC, you must be able to maintain a certain win percentage. There must be something that's that's quantifiable to make it to make the justification. So if you're Vanderbilt, okay, you're not good at football. Well, then you better be good at basketball, baseball, which they are very good at baseball, by the way. Um, but you know, be good at baseball, be good at 
um, the the women's sports, the you know, volleyball, college basketball, softball, and and have an overall win percentage to say, okay, Vanderbilt, boy, your football is really dragging you down. You're lucky that baseball and women's softball are pulling your win percentage back up in comparison. Whereas you know teams like Alabama, no matter what, Alabama just can't get good at basketball. We thought that they might not have been too bad this year, but then you know they kind of did what they always do, and they're just not, you know. So football, they're obviously the best, but some of the other sports, it kind of brings them down. Does that make sense where I'm going with that? I know how it sounds in my head, but uh, it does. That it does. Yeah, it does make sense, and I'll agree with pretty much everything except for the quasi sexist remark of those women's sports. Um, <laughs> hey, why don't I, we go back? I'll I know throw this one out here. Brown fan. I'm going to be a Brown fan. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, you brownies. Uh, spills out to all my brownies out there. No, uh, I, I know what you mean. And, you know, you have to kind of look at it from a holistic approach of not just one particular sport or one particular side of things and take into account all the collegiate athletic events yeah. that you take part in. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, I just would think, you know, so if you're going to look at a school like UCF to tie it all back in or a school like Houston where, you know, again, Houston was a number three seed in the tournament this year. Their football team overall has been producing quite well for better part of a decade. I think those are things to consider when you're doing one of these conference invitationals and, to you know, reevaluate your teams that aren't producing. That's just I don't know. My take I feel on. like uh, can we just have a like a tournament as the invitational? Say hey, we're gonna throw out a bid to these eight teams. You guys play head to head. Fight to the death. Whoever wins gets <laughs> in. Yeah, why not? I think there. I think there's some really good ideas. That would be a good bonus content show. We'll have to write that one down. So I'm telling you, we need to put a, a few of the bonus contents in the bank so that when we run into problems like we had last week, we can just here put on put on a bonus content. <laughs> I like this. I like this dream world that you live in, where you know, know. we can record additional episodes <laughs> when we're struggling to record like a normal weekly episode. <laughs> It is. It's a pipe dream. I get that. But it would be nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. We got we got other things to talk about. It is a jam-packed show. Um, did you have anything else on college basketball? Uh, no. I, I know I took me. us down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Nah, but. That's, that's all I got. So let's, uh, let's touch on some NBA. Uh, this was, of course, news last week. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks guard Brogdon is out six to eight weeks with a minor plantar fascia tear, which now I imagine that's probably five to seven weeks, seeing as that was last week's information. But it doesn't seem to be hurting the Bucks too much because they're probably the best, if not second best team in all of the NBA this year, right? Uh, yeah, they're really good at basketball. And okay. that, is, that is my uh, my professional assessment. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's just something to keep up with. Keep up with. The nice thing for Milwaukee is, is because the NBA playoffs are actually 16 months long. He'll be back. 
probably in only like the second or third round of the playoffs to, you know, help carry them the other 10 rounds of the frickin' playoffs in the NBA. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so if you're, uh, if you're a Bucks fan, then help is on the way. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, that's, I know that always sounds bad, the minor planter fascia tear, but uh, that's not the end of the world. He, it's just, just going to take him a little bit of time to rehab that, but... He should be back. I mean, if the if the Bucks go deep enough into the playoffs, he should be able to be back at least for the finals, if not the division championships, right? Um. Hey, yeah, because I mean, I think if you're if the timeline's about the same, they usually play. They're usually in the finals like the first part of June. So, mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, we're talking two and a half months, <laughs> right? I, I wasn't exaggerating. Nope. <laughs> uh, also, I mean, I saw you know that the Clippers right now, they are getting pretty hot at the right time of the year. They've won nine out of their last ten games. Yeah, and uh, I don't, I don't know if anybody had ever really considered it in this aspect of the conversation, but uh, the Clippers are the best team in LA. They, well, they have been really for the last five or six years, right? I, I mean, truthfully, um, I think if you look at s- straight record, yeah, they would be <laughs> the best team. I think it was kind of assumed that when LeBron came to the Lakers, he was going to bring this just cosmic shift of energy and excitement and everything to back to the Lakers, which was partially true but now that now that you kind of <laughs> kind of look at it and what they've missed the playoffs for what the sixth season in in a row and sixth or seventh yeah yeah and you look at it you're like oh no we do have another team in LA and they're playing pretty well like you you remember the climbers which is yeah. sad to say because yeah they have been the best the best team in LA as far as playing basketball yep Yep, that is definitely true. I mean, they're sitting at a number five seed right now. Um, so what, that would put them up against the Trailblazers in the first round, right? And Trailblazers are playing good ball right now also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's interesting to... Uh, I can't... You're not supposed to wish days of your life away, but I can't wait until the NBA Finals are over. So we can get into off season. So we can talk about LeBron James trying to <laughs> trade away every single player on the team, um, because I just, I just want to see how that's all going to work out. So, not not that it directly relates, but I, I brought this up kind of jokingly a couple weeks ago after the uh, Odell Beckham trade. And since then, on my Madden franchise that I, I work on for myself, I have tried almost every combination of giving players away. Some of my best players, uh, you know, players that are ranked over 90, first-round picks, throwing everything I can at the Giants. No, can't do it. Nothing. But you're right. That's what LeBron's going to do this offseason. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many like NBA, uh, NBA games, I don't know how many people you can put in a trade to trade for one person, but I have to believe that LeBron James is going to put everybody except for himself, on the trade block for Anthony Davis. Well, not only that, but I and because this is how the NBA works, I would not be surprised if the Lakers make some deal with 
the Pelicans, if you want to go that route, that for the next 10 years, they get their first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where they, do, they just put it out there and be like, all right, look, enough messing around. We're going to give you these six guys over here. I don't even know their names. I think one of them's name is Bob. And then on, on top of those six guys, just have them. Just take them. We'll, we'll even pay their salary for you. Don't you worry. We'll also give you the next 10 years worth of first-round picks for one guy. Yeah, I mean, they... I don't want to sell them short, but they are <laughs> desperate. Um, and actually, I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, call a long shot, and I don't even... I don't, I don't know if it's possible if they get Anthony Davis and still do this, but I'm going to go, like I said, a long shot here. I'm going to say Kyrie Irving and LeBron reunite in L.A. I don't think, I don't think that's that long of a shot. I I don't think, I mean, I don't think that's, I mean, it's far-fetched maybe, but I don't think it's that ridiculous. Uh Uh-uh. No. So, um, I mean, if if you've seen any... Any press conference that Kyrie Irving has done all season, he is a miserable human being in Boston. He absolutely hates being there. He hates being asked questions. He hates being spoken to. Yet every (laughs) night, he has to go in front of these reporters and get asked questions and answer the same questions over and over and over. Why aren't you guys good? You guys are supposed to be good. Why can't you win games? What are you doing to get better? And he just hates everybody. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's going to be in Boston next year, regardless of where he is, but, uh, I just, I think it would be, uh, interesting to see him team up with LeBron again in LA. Well, and that's one, of one of the, um, staple rivalries in the NBA, right? Is, is Boston and LA. Uh, those are the ones from yeah, the 60s yeah, where, yeah, you know, when you talk about historic NBA rivalries, that's one of the, yeah. one of the top ones. So that would be a little bit of a slap in the face to uh, the Celtics fans, but we've seen weirder in the NBA. That is true. So uh, other than you you brought it up just a minute ago, the Lakers officially being out of the playoffs, which we knew they were out of the playoffs back in December, <laughs> and truthfully. <laughs> we you know, that, we knew they were out of the playoffs a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, they they – officially locked themselves out, got eliminated amidst a, a stint of one and nine um, and within the last week. Uh, just The sad thing is, is they're still 15 games better than the Suns. And the, Sun, the Suns in their last 10 are four and six. So mm, yeah. it's, it, I know it's really, really tough for, for Lakers fans right now, but at least you're not the Knicks, at least you're not the Cavaliers, and at least you're not the Suns. Or the Bulls. Bulls are pretty terrible, too. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I guess it depends. Because if you know you're not going to make the playoffs, let's say you had the benefit of hindsight at your disposal, and you know you're not going to make the playoffs, at the beginning of the season, would you rather be a mediocre team that doesn't make the playoffs, or would you rather be an absolutely terrible team that's the laughing stock of the league and get a higher draft pick? I still would want to try and shoot for mediocre. At least then you're, you know, you're building towards something and you've got some pieces in place. You just, you know, you might be missing a few pieces. Whereas if you're, if you're the Suns or the god awful Knicks, I mean, I don't even know where the Knicks go 
Like, I mean, truthfully, the Knicks have been so bad for so long. Like, what what is it that this team actually has to do to turn themselves around? Philly turned themselves around before the Knicks did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the Knicks and, were bad for like fifty. Or the, I'm sorry, the seventy um, sixers uh, were bad for almost two decades. Yeah, they're, they've been bad since AI left. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just, I mean, they have to overhaul the entire roster. They have to get a couple big names in the draft, and they have to trade for some big names. If um, if the Lakers don't get Anthony Davis, I would not be surprised if they make a hard push towards him um, to kind of amass some star power and get some get some building blocks there because they don't, they don't really have a whole lot going on. Now, so here's a question for you. Um, Anthony Davis and... Zion, would that be would that be an appropriate matchup, or do those two guys both play the same position? I don't know. Uh, like, would they they be good teammates as far as chemistry on the no no no, no. position or, play? Uh, position play a good matchup. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's difficult for me without seeing Zion, you know, play against <laughs> men his own size. <laughs> It's hard for me to imagine, you know, really how he's going to fare on an NBA court. He's obviously a huge human being. Um, I just don't know how. Hmm. I don't know how refined he is yet. <laughs> uh, and I feel like Anthony Davis has been in the league a few years now, to where he he has some uh, some additional tools in his arsenal that he can, you know, he doesn't have to just post people up and do all of his work down on the block uh, so he can kind of step out and do a few different things. Not to say that Zion, Zion can't do that. I think it's probably pretty pretty self-explanatory to say watching Zion against anybody is going to be entertaining. Um, I just don't know how great of a matchup that would be. Maybe it's going to be a fantastic matchup, and I just don't know what I'm talking about. That is highly likely. And it's been known to happen a couple of times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, other than that, for the NBA, really just kind of going down the, the list, you got four teams on the, on the East that have already clinched their playoff positions. Uh, I think Milwaukee's actually clinched the number one seed. Is that correct? Or they've cl- clinched their division, sorry. Um, and then you got Toronto, Philly, and, and the Pacers that are all set. And then on the Western Conference, you got Golden State, Denver, and Houston that are all already clinched. But. I don't really have anything else other NBA notes, unless you did. Mm, no, no, that's, uh, that's all I got. All righty. Well, then with that, we will shift over to both of our favorite topic, the Major League Baseball. Oh, the baseball. <laughs> now, this was huge news last week, and again, we, we apologize for our... Yeah, we this what fourth or fifth apology we've thrown out there for this, but we'll do another one for our lack of being able to record an episode last week. But Mike Trout, his, the absolutely ginormous four hundred plus million dollar extension he got with the Los Angeles Angels. I I have something for disappointments of the week that I wanted to throw out there too, but it it just kind of goes hand in hand. The, the amount of money that these contracts and, and baseball is throwing out at some of these guys is just absolutely ridiculous. And then, where I have it, and spoiler alert, it's going to be in Disappointments of the Week, 
you have Craig Kimbrell, who is still holding out for a $100 million contract for himself. And that's why he's holding out for a $100 million contract. Because these guys, Trout, Harper, um, who was it? Goldschmidt that just got another, uh, another extension or an additional extension on his contract. So these are huge numbers that these guys are getting. I just don't get it. I just don't. I don't really either. And I just... I don't know. It's it's so excessive. <laughs> like we we've talked about the just astronomical amount of money that professional athletes make and I think I heard this in passing so I can't say that this is a 100 100% accurate quote but I I think I heard say in passing that if you combine Trout, Harper, Machado and somebody else's contract from this year Stanton yeah, the guaranteed money is more than all NFL quarterbacks or no, 20, 20 of the starting NFL quarterbacks that they will make no, in the upcoming season. I'm sure that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, Harper this season is 26 million, Machado somewhere right around there, Stanton somewhere right around there. I mean, you're you're flirting with 100 million dollars just right there. Just with those four names. Yeah. For this season. And that's just... But, you, <laughs> but you, you know how this, this whole thing came about, right? With Trout. And why he got such a huge extension, right? Uh, because, well, I would have to assume because uh, Homeboy Harper was out throwing his name around right. left and right. Trying to get him to fill him. Like, oh no, we gotta lock this guy up. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. L.A. went... you know, the, and, and it's true. Mike Trout is pr- probably going to go down as one of the top ten players of all time. He He's that good. He's a five-tool player. He can do everything, but we've talked about, you know, the Angels have given out some pretty big contracts, Albert Pujols included in that, and they haven't been able to make a continuous run at the playoffs or even in their division for the last decade. So you're putting all your marbles on Trout just because you don't want to lose him, which is great, and it's it's certainly smart in some, some respects, but it goes back to that argument that I have, so you've just given this guy $430 million in extensions. How does that handcuff the rest of your organization on what you can spend to get other players, other, other pieces to help Trout make that run into the playoffs and maybe eventually win you guys at least a division again? Yeah, you know, I just, I've long been a believer of the fact that especially for contracts like these, I'm not, I'm not so opposed to the excessive amount of money that they're given. I'm opposed to the excessive amount of guaranteed money that athletes are given. Uh, because, yeah, you, ha- you have to understand, like, if you're a fan of sports, you have to understand that athletes are going to get paid a just stupid sum of money. Right. But, you know, we we base these contracts off of what we assume they're going to do for our organization without ever actually seeing any tangible results of that until it's far too late and they've made all this money. So I think that just, I think, you know, if we, if we separate it and talk specifically about the guaranteed money, I think that's my, my biggest, I don't know, pet peeve is the right word, but that's my biggest sticking point for contracts like these because, yeah, you know, you have 
you have them on your uh, on your team for the next decade or so. And we, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and you kind of alluded to it just now. Is what's that going to equate to? Like, what's the end result? Is is that going to bring you more division championships? Is that going to bring you more World Series? We don't know. Uh, I know his. Uh, I know his investment manager does not care, um, and I know his agent does not care because they're now well taken care of. How do you even become a sports agent, by the way? Well, uh, uh, do you remember our senior year in college? Uh, you might not remember a whole lot of it. Um, I remember most of it, yeah. So there, one, there was one of our more famous roommates. Uh, one of our roommates got in with, got, I'm using air quotes there, got in with a sports agent talent pool type thing. And remember, he tried to bring us in, too, and the whole thing kind of fizzled out and dissolved because I don't think it was really real. Um, But, you know, it it is. It's What what degree do you go to school for for that? I'm with you on that. How how do you... I think you and I got relatively, quote-unquote, close when we were 22, 21, but it wasn't even a real lead on that. (laughs) It wasn't a real thing. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm very curious because these people are the people that's they clearly made the right choices in life because yeah, Mike Trout, he's out there, you know, making four hundred and thirty million dollars, but he's also, you know, I'm sure he's practicing pretty excessively. He's probably on the road what, sixty percent of the year, if if not more. Uh, he's putting his body on the line. Of course, you know, baseball is a little bit different than like hockey or football, but uh, still putting a lot of strain on his body. And his agent is probably, even if he's only making 1% of that single contract, that's probably not the only person he's representing. And he's probably just reading some documents, you know, making sure that, Mike signs what he needs to sign, doesn't sign what he's not supposed to sign, and uh, he's just kind of sitting back watching those dollars flow in. You know, we really, we really should have pursued that a little harder when we were younger, huh? Uh, that that kind of sums up pretty much everything about my 18 to 30-year-old life. Ah, well. Here we are. Yep. Um, yeah, it just... Uh... I don't know. I, I we we talked about this last time, and you know when we're going to see that one billion contract, one billion dollar contract. I think you're right. I think we're probably going to get to that point. What's going to justify it or validate it? Who can even guess? But we're halfway there now. Yeah, we are. We're almost there. So I don't. I don't know. We talked about it. I think I probably threw out an arbitrary year, like twenty one thirty six or something. Uh, so look I think out. You did a little sooner than that. Maybe I don't know. Look out for um, Bryce Harper the seventh to be the <laughs> first one billion dollar contract in MLB. <laughs> uh, well, we won't be around for that. Nah. Most likely. You never know. All right. So I promised this a few weeks ago, and again, sometimes adulting gets in the way of. What I would really rather be doing, which is usually looking at sports topics and looking at 
statistics and that kind of stuff because it just is interesting. But I did. I promised us a, a conversation about war wins above replacement, like I said in the beginning, not bombing other countries, although we can talk about bombing other countries. I'm sure there are people that find that to be as recreational. Yeah, it's um, probably not the place, though. <laughs> no, not the right uh, venue for that conversation. So war. There are two types of war. Wins above replacement. There are There is offensive war and there's pitching war. I'll be honest with you, until I looked into it, I did not know what the exact formulas were for either. So for the offensive war, which is going to be hitters, that's your batting runs, base running runs, fielding runs, positional adjustment, which I don't really I still don't really know what that is, league adjustment, and replacement runs divided by so you add all those up and then you divide it by runs per win. Makes sense, right? Easy peasy. Just, you know, you're adding some stuff and then dividing it. Uh, totally yep. just, makes sense. Just like, uh, I don't know, just like hopscotch. Super easy. Right. And then for pitchers, don't worry, it gets even easier for pitchers. Sense the sarcasm. So with pitchers, it's, um, they call it, see, it's just, it's so bad. <laughs> They, they call it um, FIP, which is infield fly balls adjusted for the park and scaled to how many innings the pitcher threw. FIP is translated into runs converted to represent value above replacement level and then is converted from runs to wins. Um, Go ahead. Let that process. Let it, let it soak in. Let it marinate, if you will. Hmm. Okay, I'm I'm processing. Uh, what? Okay, so where 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 war came from in so many respects is from sabermetrics, which sabermetrics are it's one of the things that baseball nerds get picked on a lot for, and and there's a certain amount of value to it, and then there's a certain amount of justification for why the baseball nerds get picked on it. I like baseball statistics. I like football statistics. I like looking at the obscure facts. But sabermetrics and war went off the deep end. Like, they they just went, they took something and were like, we can run with this. We can make this a thing. And, And they did. And now it's a relevant statistic that people use to measure. But it's really just a guide to take their overall statistics of one person and see whether it positively or negatively affects the wins a team has in a season. And again, there are some useful aspects of it, but overall it's not a, in my opinion, this is 100% my opinion, not a entirely valid tool when you're looking at making your decisions towards running your organization. Billy Bean, the A's, they've used a similar structure of this for years. And it's, sometimes it works for them, sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's kind of the overall conversation with wins above replacement. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but there's no consistent metric that says a war of this is going to get you this. Does that make sense? 
It does. I mean, I, I think it falls in line with pretty much any stat that can be put together. Yeah, it's going to give you a general idea of how this could play out or what's more likely, but it's not going to be a binary guide. If you do this, then this will be the result. Right. So what got us started on all of this was we were talking about things with Harper. So what would you, knowing what you now know and that you're an expert on war, wins above replacement, of course, where would you say Bryce Harper's war was last year? Percentage, or we'll say ranking-wise. Let's go with ranking. Ranking-wise? There, there's 25 players on a team at any given point. Of course, you have injuries, you have call-ups, you have send-downs, things like that. But 25 uh, players on a team for 30 major league teams. So you're better at the math than I am. What is that? 30 times 25. So out of 750, where do you think Mr. Harper lands on wins above replacement in 2018? Uh, he was 122nd. I have no clue. I didn't, I didn't go that far. Oh, okay. But I can, tell you, <laughs> I can tell you he wasn't in the top 50. I don't even think he was in the top 60. I think that's about as far as I went was the top 60. And he's not in there. Yet, he just got this massive contract. $330 million, almost all guaranteed over the next 13 years. Hmm. The, the, the two don't... <laughs> they don't... They don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't. They just don't. <laughs> so here, here are, and, and here's some things that you can take away that are interesting. From the offensive perspective, Mike Trout has an offensive war of 9.2. Okay, so you're going to tell me that that's one of the reasons that justifies that huge contract that he just got. Of course, when I put all this together, that contract hadn't gone through yet. So maybe if you're going... Just based off of wins above replacement, a 9.2, I would assume, is a pretty good number. The next closest is Mookie Betts at 8.7. And then you have Alex Bregman at 7.5, Jose Ramirez at 7.4, and Christian Yelich at 7.3. And then it kind of goes down from there. But that doesn't translate necessarily to what your overall production of the team is. The nice thing for Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts, who are three of the top ten, all three of these guys are on the Red Sox. Well, we know how good the Red Sox were last year. So there, that's where you, you have a certain element of that that, okay, kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. So you go into, and I'm not going to get too much further into this, but you go into 2017 Offensive War Leaders, who was the World Series winner in 2017? Do you remember? Oh, no. You know I don't. <laughs> it, was the, it was the Astros. The The interesting takeaway for me in that, again, Mike Trout was second in 2017 with a 7.4. But in the top 12, you had Jose Altuve, you had Carlos Correa, and you had George Springer. All on the Astros. So, I, I mean... I, I didn't, didn't go too much further into that, but there, there is a correlation to these war statistics and possibly having a championship contender. The two aren't, aren't unattached to each other, but I think you're just coming into a point where these are younger guys having good seasons 
and surrounded by a team that can actually produce a World Series championship. That's my take on on the war. Okay. Well, while you were uh, while you were kind of taking me through that, I had research working on that, and I can tell you that for the 2018 season, Bryce Harper clocked in at number 76 in the league. 76. Okay. Uh, with yeah. a war of 3.5. Right. So if you're going off of that, how does that justify a $330 million contract? Uh, least, well, I mean, I don't, I don't think anything can justify a $330 million. Well, right, 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 right. But at least you can say, and going back a little bit further, when you're looking at war and using that as a statistic, Mike Trout has been consistently number one or number two dating back all the way to 2013. And let me see, going back a little bit further, 2012. So at least there's a little bit. So 2012 was his kind of arrival. And, and he's pretty much stayed there on, at the top since 2012. So again, if you're basing it off of, of that, that's great. But Mike Trout clearly can't carry the Angels by himself. That's the other point I'm making with that. That's great that he's up at the top of that and he's he's consistently producing at that level, but it's not turning into championships for the Angels. Yeah, and I think my only question, and this is purely from your perspective, you don't I don't need any um, any actual true analysis behind this, but how often is the top war? directly correlated to winning league MVP? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's... See, you always... Whenever I do these things, you always go and you take it a step further. <laughs> and, you, just... and you ask me something <laughs> that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> I'm just curious because, you know, if you, if you have a metric that is really built around kind of identifying the best player in baseball, and then you have an award that is given to supposedly the best player in baseball then uh, are those two always aligned or is there a bit of uh, you know a bit of gray okay. area between the two well let's take a look at that this is according to mlb.com is where i'm pulling this up from last year's mvp awards you had in the american league mookie betts and in the national league you had christian yelich uh, mookie betts was ranked second as we talked about with a war of 8.7 and Christian Yelich was uh, fifth with a war of 7.3. Okay, so, of course, this is only one year as a, as a data point, but we can definitively say that not every single time is the number one rated war your league MVP. Right. So, you know, when you, when you look at the MVP is technically based off of votes. So when you're you know, looking at the MVP, you look at Mookie Betts' statistics, and of course, again, Red Sox were just a, a beast of a team last year, but he, Mookie Betts had a 346 average, uh, 47 doubles, 32 home runs, scored 129 runs, 80 RBIs, and 30 stolen bases. That's a great season top to bottom. So there, when I'm looking at those statistics from a from a baseball nerd that likes baseball statistics, those are the numbers that I'm looking at and going, yes, he had an MVP winning season right there. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I can uh, I can definitively say that I now know 
much more about war than I did entering right. this conversation. Um, I can't say for certain if I could actually repeat any of it, <laughs> but uh, but it is good to know generally how it's put together, and it just it seems like a it's almost like a bunch of statisticians were locked yeah. in a room, and they said, "Hey, what's the most arbitrary and asinine calculation that we can come up with?" And this is what we got. Right, like, and and you know me, I like the the idea of having a quantifiable statistic that encompasses everybody. You know, it it, it doesn't necessarily take in the number of at bats. It doesn't necessarily take into what uh, you know was happening in that particular game. It's just based off of those particular metrics for when that person is is at the plate. Um, but yeah, it does. It just seems like they went, okay, we'll take we'll take some of that and uh, well, but. Put some of that in there. See what happens if we put some of that in there. <laughs> okay, well, we've got this big formula. What do we do with it? Let's divide it by something. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, and the, the pitcher one, like, I, I spent a good bit of time trying to look at that one, and I just I couldn't wrap my head around how, how the pitching war is. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going <laughs> to pretend to you know, just skate past that. So one. if they're... If there is anybody that can do a better job of explaining pitching war or any of the war conversation, or if you are a fan of war, wins above replacement. Um, again, not a podcast on going to war with other countries. Just let, let's be clear about that. Uh, email us at thesportsdistraction at gmail.com and, and send me what you got. And I'll read over it, and we'll, we'll talk about it on, uh, on the next episode. So that's all I got on war. Well, that's, uh, that is all I... All I have on listening to war, too. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I guess it's uh, getting close to time to wrapping up this episode. So we will go ahead, jump into what we always do at the end of the, every episode. Did you see that? And disappointments of the week. And then at the very end, we've got a little special announcement that we will be making. A uh, couple things that have changed for us that we'll, we'll make light for those of you that listen. So with that, Mike, let's get right into Did You See That? What do you got first? Let us see that. Um, I don't know. Did you see that? Did you see Bill Belichick rocking oh his God. sweet Bama polo? Was it, a, po- oh my was it God. a polo or a hoodie? I think it was a polo, right? No, it was a, it was like a long sleeve turtle. Oh, okay. Yeah. How scary. How <laughs> unbelievably scary would that be? Could you just imagine? And, you know, he always has that grimace. Like, I actually envy that grimace. I kind of wish I had a grimace that was just that fierce. Um, but, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I saw that. And it was scary. Yeah. Just think about <laughs> I saw, I think it was Barstool Sports that posted, Alabama's never going to lose again. <laughs> right. And, I mean, I have to think of it not, not just from a competitive standpoint, but from a, just a knowledge standpoint. The overwhelming amount of information between those two mm-hmm. individuals that exist in such a small space is, you know, mind blowing. Yeah. Yep. It would be, you know, that people talk about, you know, people you'd want to sit down and have a dinner with and things of that nature. If they actually had personalities, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer and Bill Belichick would be an ultimate dinner for me to sit down and just go, okay, okay, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> just talk. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and absorb. But, uh, you know, neither one of them have 
fantastic person. I mean, who knows? Maybe behind closed doors they do, but I'm pretty sure that they do. <laughs> if but, I had uh, to guess. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah, that was definitely a sight to see. What else you got? Well, did you know that uh, this week marked, and again, we already talked about feeling old, this week marked the 18-year anniversary since your boy Randy Johnson made that poor, poor bird explode. So I remember when that happened. (laughs) And this, this was well before you know, vast amounts of availability online. You actually saw this on TV. You, you know, it really weren't a whole lot of internet videos that were uploaded for the sports world and, and things of that nature. So I remember watching it on SportsCenter going, nah, no way. How did he do that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember that um, pretty much the same way. And I remember that being probably the most awesome thing I had seen on TV to that point in my life. I was just like, holy crap. (laughs) So a little side story, whenever you and I, you know, we exchange material throughout the week and, you know, you brought that to me. I was rewatching the video, just, wow, holy crap. I know. And, you know, I said something out loud and my wife goes, what, what are you looking at? I was like, do you really want to know? She's like, sure. And so I turn my phone and I I show it to her. She goes, that's terrible. (laughs) I mean, really, like, what are the odds? And for anybody to do it... It's never happened again. Right. For anybody to do it, of all people, Randy Johnson, one of the hardest throwers in MLB history, like, there are a lot of guys that could have done it, and it maybe would have just stunned the bird. Unfortunately, that bird happened to fly into the path of a Randy Johnson pitch and just exploded on impact. So... Good times. Yeah. Uh, so also, let's see, next we got, uh, for those of you that are, are pretty big baseball fans, Ichiro, who had a very, very long career in the MLB. Um, he is his now back over in the Japanese leagues and is at 45 years old. He had almost 3,100 hits just in Major League Baseball. And now, playing in Japan, again, he's at almost 1,300 hits. So if you've never seen this guy, he has such a weird swing. It's like but a, he is it's like a softball the... player's swing. Yeah, but it works. No, it's And fantastic. it has worked for him for, yeah, just an incredible amount of time and the amount of hits that that man has and consistency of, of producing that, and especially at 45, just amazing for, for him. So hats off to you, Ichiro. Keep it going. And last but not least, this one's a little bit old at this point. Again, we, we missed last week's episode, and, and we do apologize for that, as we have throughout this entire episode. But uh, Aaron Judge's monster home run that he had against the Blue Jays in spring training, I'm telling you, you, you know where Yankees Stadium uh, spring training field is, right there in the heart of Tampa. I'm pretty sure that that home run could have reached you in Sarasota. I'm pretty sure. So would you say it's true or false that chicks dig the long ball? I think it's true. I would I would concur with that assessment. Yeah. So that that's uh, definitely an incredible incredible home run and uh, I I don't like that he's a Yankee. That bothers me. <laughs> but it is 
very awesome and all just to watch his swing and a six seven monster to just crush the living crap out of the ball. I really, really do hope that nothing comes out about him being on any kind of performance enhancers or anything else like that because this kid can just crush it, which I think is awesome. So that's pretty much all we had for Did You See That This Week. So with that, we'll go ahead and end the show, wrap it up with Disappointments of the Week. Let's do it. All right, so one of the things that we looked at, and this was just more poking a little bit of fun at the school, um, USC, University of Southern California, is staring down the barrel of another scandal. But this time... It's for admissions bribery, uh, college admissions briberies, which uh, there's that whole national scandal going on with uh, Aunt Becky from Full House and all that other kind of stuff. <laughs> but I believe the bedrock of this particular scandal for USC is based off of water polo. Hmm. Interesting. Um, no, it's disappointing. It's it's not interesting. It's actually <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> yes. And actually, I did see, I don't know to what level of detail, because... Uh, as quickly as it came across my eyes, I just as quickly lost interest in it. But I also saw Pete Carroll's name involved in this. And oh, was it really? If you remember, you know, really any of that other scandal, that whole thing about you know giving back the Heisman and that kind of thing, uh, he was pretty deeply ingrained in that. Too. So I'm what? not here to accuse Pete Carroll of anything. Again, I did not read the article whatsoever. So <laughs> it could be completely conjecture. But I'm just saying, I saw his name brought up. It happens. It does happen. Um, <laughs> this one, I, I just... We talked about him. <laughs> I say that every yes. week. We did talk about him. Johnny Football, he's back. He's got another job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got another job and with the AAF, the Express. Uh, I don't know if you saw a, uh, I saw a quick little clip. He was already talking noise to the other team, and they were, <laughs> they were losing by like 16 <laughs> points. I'm like, bro, you need to give it right, up, just, just shut it down. And also um, somewhat related to that, and kind of surprisingly, um, the AAF, which we, we kind of alluded to this, and, you know, possibility and how popular it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Per the owner, the AAF is already in jeopardy of folding, which is kind of disappointing as well because, you know, yeah. we were excited about having football in non-football months, and that excitement was quickly extinguished by the fact that we can actually watch many of the games <laughs> Yep. Um, but it's actually, uh, per the owner, it's actually not folding for the reason that you would think. And, you know, you would think it would be because of popularity. Uh, he's actually saying it's, uh, it, in, it is in jeopardy of folding because of the NFL Players Association, because they seem mm-hmm. to uh, not be too keen on lending out their young talent. Um, and I don't know if you, I actually came across this article in on ESPN, and I don't know if you got a chance to yes, read about I've it. I've got it up now, and I'm, I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah it was interesting because um, the owner himself actually refers to the AAF as a development 
as a developmental league. I saw that. Um, so that's one thing to note because, you know, we talked about that and, you know, trying to really figure out where their place was in sports. And so he, he mm-hmm. came out and said, yeah, this is a developmental league. And um, it, it does note... Which there's nothing wrong with No, that. not at all. And it, it does note that they can get um, unsigned NFL players, including practice squad players, at, at any time. Um, the issue is if there are practice squad players that are on like a futures contract with a team, those are the players mm-hmm. that they can acquire. And so this is, to me, this kind of seems like a, it seems like a power play when you don't really have a power play type of move mm-hmm. from the yeah. owner of the AAF. So I don't, I don't really know that he's going to get the response that he's hoping to get out of this, but we'll, we'll see if there's AAF next year. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Right now it's looking real I, questionable. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I just don't think this ever really had the the correct footing to get off on, you know, and, and really take hold. I think the NFL really, I don't want to put, want to say put a, a choke on them or, or strangle on what they were trying to do, um, but I think they were are, are just going to be too big of an entity for the AAF to take on, even in an off season type scenario like we're seeing with the AAF, I just, I don't think there's going to be enough resource or resources to, to make the AAF a, a viable type uh, entity without significant, one, significant help from the NFL and then significant help from the NFL Players Association either. So I think you're, you're probably spot on there that we won't likely see another season of the AAF, but I could be wrong. Good thing we got that XFL coming up. Yeah, that's going to go so much better. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so the you've got one other thing for Disappointments of the Week, right? Yep, I do. Um, I just... Hmm. This one. Uh, <laughs> we're going to switch it over to NBA now. And, um, yeah. Always, a, always good for some disappointing content. Yeah, it really is because... Uh, Surprise, surprise, a, a team out of the East. Not, what? Not, not doing so hot. Um, Against a team from A team the from West? the West. I know. Funny how that I works out. I am shocked. I know. Um, actually, a team that we haven't really talked about thus far, the Detroit Pistons. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guys, mm-hmm. uh you guys put on a terrible performance against the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> um, and so let me take a step back because not just a terrible performance against the Nuggets. Terrible. It was a terrible first quarter performance against the Denver Nuggets. They only scored nine points in the first quarter. Um, hey, that's less than a point a minute. That is uh, the, the score at the end of the first quarter was 27 to nine. Um, that's real bad. That is real, real bad. But I don't know what's, I don't know what's more disappointing. The fact that they only scored nine points in the first quarter or the fact that they almost came back to win and only lost by three points. I mean, talk about a come from behind, talk about, nope, it's just disappointing. Yeah. No, no, on, on either side of that, it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're the Nuggets, why'd you let them crawl all the way back into it? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I get it, garbage time and, you know, resting your starters. Yeah, sure, all that makes sense. But uh, I, I bring it back one more time. I remember 
uh, I think it was our junior year, and it was uh, Ron Zook's last season with Florida, and they were crushing Kentucky, just absolutely destroying them. So he pulled all the starters at like the second half, didn't even put them in the second half. And then Kentucky managed to get it back all the way within like a touchdown, and he sends the starter back <laughs> You guys get back out there. <laughs> and, you know, Florida ended up winning the game. But, yeah, it's, it's that kind of situation. Like, make sure that you have the game in hand before you let them crawl all the way back in. Right. Or, you know, maybe make sure and get your second string guys a little more practice time. Yeah. Who knows? All right, and last but not least for Disappointments of the Week, um, I've talked about this a little bit uh, leading up to the, the season beginning for Major League Baseball, and it has to do with some of these guys that haven't signed. The biggest name among that, and we already talked about him a little bit, is Craig Kimbrell. And baseball is starting this week, and he has yet to sign with a team, and he is, has been the d- most dominant closer in baseball for the last decade. So there, there's definitely a disconnect, as, in my opinion, as to why he hasn't signed with a team. And I, I, again, it goes back to I think he's asking for way too much money. But when you're that good of a closer and you haven't signed with a team the week the season is starting, there's something wrong there. There's, there's just something wrong there. Yeah. So that, that, to me, was the ultimate disappointment this week. And, I mean, you may not know this, but is is he even in talks with any teams? Like, is he just hanging out waiting for somebody to throw him $100 million? Uh, or? Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything, you know, rumblings in the last week. Last thing I really heard, and this was a couple weeks ago, was that, you know, the final talks with the Red Sox had fizzled out because the Red Sox just don't want to pay that much. Right. Which is surprising coming from the Red Sox because they like to spend money like crazy. Um, They're, you know, one of the worst teams when it comes to spending money like that. But they, for whatever reason, they don't see the investment of giving him $100 million, which, gee, I wonder why. Um but I'm I'm surprised at this point that no one has picked him up. It's going to be a playoff contender. The Cubs can't afford him. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Dodgers can, but they've got Kenley Jensen, so they're already sitting in a good spot. There was a little bit of rumor that the Braves were maybe going to try and make a push to get him back, and that would have been a nice homecoming story for that to have Kimbrel and Brian McCann back with Atlanta. Um, you know, and, and Atlanta's expected to be a playoff team. Philly blew all their money on Harper. Uh, so, I mean, I don't really know what Kimbrell is expecting to get if he's, if he's looking to go get the $100 million and be in a, a team that has playoff hopes. Because you can't, in baseball, you can't have both. It's not, you know, you, you look at teams like the White Sox or the Orioles, they're not going to fork out that kind of money because they're not going to get any kind of investment on return because that team might get 20 saves in a season. Right. Whereas, you know, Kimbrell can get you 50 he, he, he's done it before, but if you're not in the, in the playoff hunt, what what are you gonna? Why, why would you spend that money? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, he he. To me, he doesn't really seem to be in that big of a hurry. So. No, no, he doesn't. But you know, I, with, then you immediately step back into a um, Le'Veon Bell situation. Right. Right, and he, and the deal that Kimber will take will probably end up being less than he could have gotten two months ago with the Red Sox or with anybody else that had offers on the table for him. But whatever. 
Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the, the more we talk about this kind of topic across all sports, not just football or baseball or anything, um, I was I came across an interesting perspective and it's not necessarily made me change my feelings on how I would potentially be as a professional athlete. Um, but somebody brought up, you know, when, when talking about, oh, what are the, the, you know, the real motivators? Do you want to win a championship? Do you want to, uh, be the highest paid at your position? Whatever it is, do you want to play for a certain team? Um, somebody said that, uh, you know, if they were faced with the decision versus getting a higher contract versus playing for a championship contender, they said that, at the end of the day, once I retire, those championships aren't going to pay my bills. Yeah, I mean, that's true, and that's a very fair point. Um, you know, again, I've, I've made my opinions on that that part of the business very clear, and I think there's a you can strike a balance. Right. I, I really do. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business, and you're there to make money, and that's what the, the goal is, and that's all there is to it, I guess. Yep. So, uh, does that, uh, does that round us out for our disappointments this week? It does. I don't have anything else other than to put us on the list again. And I, th- yeah. I think we deserve to be on there. <laughs> yep. Other than my, my life in general, that those, well, those are the disappointments. That, that hasn't changed in three decades. Ah, so. no, no, it's, it's been it's, pretty consistent. Yeah. It's yeah, nice, nice and even keel. Um, so actually before we, we wrap this episode up completely, uh, we do want to let everybody know that has listened to us from the beginning or listeners that we picked up throughout the show that for the time being, we are going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, there's multiple reasons to that. Uh, most of that reasoning comes to that it's very difficult for the two of us to be able to sit down and actually have a recording session to make this podcast. Um the directions that both of our lives are in right now, it's not that we don't love doing it, because I, I I look forward to recording an episode every single week, and, and I think you and I both have a lot of fun with it, but timing-wise for us, it's just not happening right now. It's been a struggle, so uh, yeah, we're, we're going to take a little bit of sabbatical, but, you know, before you, uh, you know, start to shed tears or get overly emotional, I just want to let you know, this is not the end. This is just, no. this is not goodbye. This is just, man, just sit there and wait a little bit so we can finish some stuff and then we'll be right think, back. Yeah. Think of it as a, uh, like a summer vacation in April. I like vacations. I do too. <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be so nice to have one. <laughs> it really would. I, I don't, I don't know what that's about, but, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna take the uh, podcast equivalent of a, a fiver and, uh, we'll be, yeah. we'll be back in a little bit. Yep. Uh, so yeah, everybody that has listened to us, please don't give up on us. We, we will still have, uh, plenty of content. We, we're nowhere near done with this. It's just, uh, like I said, it's, it's a timing thing and, and we gotta, we gotta realign some stuff before we can actually devote, uh, our full attention to this. We talked about it in, I think, the very first, bonus episode that we did that we we probably could push through and and make it happen but if we're going to put something out there with our names on it we want it to be of decent quality and not something that we just slap together because we want to make sure that there's something out there 
So I think I think that's uh, the right move for us right now. And like like Mike said, we will be back. We will be back. Agreed. And you know, to that point, we didn't really talk about this topic, but we can do it offline and maybe circle back. Uh, you know, as far as making sure that we put out something that's quality if it has our names on it we could put out something in far less quality and just put somebody else's name on it so we can <laughs> we can discuss that and uh, that's an option circle back to it <laughs> this podcast is hosted by trey uh, <laughs> that was unfair i apologize but it was funny all right. Well, once again, thanks everyone so much for listening. Uh, our content is constantly available. If you missed an episode, you want to go back while we're on this little break. There's the bonus contents to check out. Uh, great, great stuff on there. A lot of positive feedback on those that we we received. Uh, and then you've got the whole episode repertoire available on any podcast uh, device that you use: iTunes, uh, Podcast Addict, I think Google Podcast. It's on there. And, uh, and then, again, we're available on Facebook and Twitter as well. That's not 100% accurate because I tried to have Alexa look it up and she wouldn't, so. Oh, well, that's rude. It, it, yeah. She's in timeout. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's a justifiable <laughs> one. All right. Once again, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll uh, be back soon. Catch you on the flippity flip.